This material contains details of extremely violent crimes that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. It has been my life's mission to study violent offenders and determine the best ways to protect myself and others. Using my proficiency in the martial arts, along with my law enforcement career, I have assembled life-saving tactics and physical techniques proven to defeat violent criminals. Welcome to Serial Defense. I'm Joey Walker, your host and personal safety trainer. During this episode, I'll guide you through the crimes committed by this serial offender and how the victims were selected, and lastly, what you can do to protect yourself during a violent encounter with a serial predator. On September 6, 1999, a female employee at the Twin Lakes Golf Club in Michigan was attacked. The woman was working at the golf course when a man unexpectedly approached her, demanded she disrobe, and then sexually assaulted her. The man completed his violent act and left the premises just as suddenly as he appeared. On July 27, 2000, a woman who was jogging along the Penn State University golf course was attacked. A man approached the woman and asked her a couple of questions before he produced a weapon. He moved the woman into an area where she was sexually assaulted. These women endured their violent encounter and survived the attacks, coming from the alleged serial rapist Kurt Rolima, the fairway rapist. Kurt Rolima was arrested on April 17, 2023 for these cold case sexual assaults, and his case is yet to be adjudicated. Although the vast amount of evidence points to his guilt, he is accused of and alleged to have committed these crimes. The American criminal justice system demands we begin with the premise that a person is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And because the women involved in these cases are survivors, I will use pseudonyms to maintain and respect their privacy. As I discuss the facts of this case, remembering that the victims are never to blame for being chosen by a violent offender, it is always the violent offender who has 100% of the blame. On September 6, 1999, Pamela was working a fast food stand on a golf course. A man came into the restaurant through the back door and demanded Pamela remove her clothing. After Pamela disrobed, the man sexually assaulted her. On July 27, 2000, Approximately nine months later, 19-year-old Julie was jogging near the 18th hole of the blue course at Penn State University in State College, Pennsylvania. The man approached Julie and asked her for a band-aid and if she knew the way to the clubhouse. The man then produced a knife and held it to her throat to prevent Julie from leaving. After dragging Julie into the woods, he punched her in the stomach to further intimidate her. Then he sexually assaulted her. In both cases, the man released the woman after he sexually assaulted them. And in both cases, the women contacted law enforcement and filed crime reports. The women were provided a physical examination where biological evidence was obtained and submitted to the crime lab. The DNA was uploaded into the combined DNA index system, a database that could possibly provide a match to any suspect's DNA that would already be in the system. However, there was no such match to provide the identity of the offender, at least at that time. But they did learn in 2004 that the same suspect was responsible for both attacks. In July of 2021, law enforcement officials from the Oakland County Sheriff's Office in Michigan and the Penn State Police Department contacted Nanolabs to conduct genetic genealogy testing. This discipline combines genetic analysis with public DNA records. They uploaded the DNA samples to GEDmatch, a DNA database with about 1.2 million profiles. The lab spent at least 15 hours identifying distant relatives going back to the 1700s. 
Then, they built a family tree and narrowed the potential suspects to Relima and his two brothers. And after narrowing down to these three individuals, police needed to obtain a one-to-one DNA match to a suspect that could be used as evidence that would be admissible in court. Law enforcement began to focus on Kurt Relima for several reasons. One, because he lived near the Twin Lakes Golf Club in Michigan. And two, because his brother was attending Penn State University at the time of the second sexual attack. After law enforcement began surveilling Kurt Rolima, they observed him discard a coffee cup. They took the discarded coffee cup and submitted that to the lab for DNA comparison. Comparing the samples of the DNA that had been collected, they found those samples were a direct match to the DNA samples from the sexual assaults of Pamela and Julie. The suspect is 51-year-old Kurt Rolima. He was arrested on April 17, 2023 in Michigan and was charged with first and second degree felony criminal sexual conduct. In Pennsylvania, he faces felony counts of rape, sexual assault, and aggravated and decent assault. If convicted, he faces up to life in prison. Kurt Rolima appears to live an affluent life, residing in a $2.2 million lakefront home in Michigan. He is a business executive in the construction industry and owns several investment properties. He also served on the board of directors and was a parent volunteer at a soccer club. And he was a member of the exclusive Orchard Lake Country Club. He's also a married man and father of three who had a secret life, one that perhaps his wife and family were unaware of. That secret life also included investments in several adult exotic nightclubs, also known as gentleman clubs in Toledo, Ohio. Sometime in 2016, Kurt Rolima is alleged to have attacked one of the dancers at one of these nightclubs. A former manager at the Gentleman's Club stated, Kurt Rolima went into the back and ripped off her clothes. The former manager warned the dancers about Kurt Rolima, who was alleged to have tried to get the girls into a VIP room that was no longer used to have sex with him. He said that Rolima was very aggressive and would try to overpower the women. Any person who commits a violent sex crime Unless something of significance deters the person from future crimes, they're more apt to commit future sex crimes, perhaps even more serious than their previous crimes, placing them well on their way to becoming a sexual predator. And there's always the possibility of a sexual predator escalating from sex crimes to murder. Kurt Rolima was described as being an avid golfer who has played in amateur tournaments across the country as far back as the year 2000. There could be even more women who have yet to have come forward to accuse Kurt Rolima of crimes he may have committed against them. If the crimes Kurt Rolima are accused of are proven in a court of law, he could face not only criminal charges, but civil litigations that might take years before they are ultimately resolved. According to Kurt Rolima's attorney, they have said, a piece of evidence is only as good as its collection and analysis, and I don't know any of that yet. And even went on to say, every story has two sides and he's looking forward to telling his side in court. Know that criminals who commit violent sexual crimes in secret mingle among us every day. When their identities are revealed, we learn that can be someone's father, someone's husband, someone's son, and in some cases, even someone's daughter. They may have friends or acquaintances who never would have guessed that their friends have committed the offenses they are accused of committing. But in reality, these offenders have misled everyone sometimes going to great lengths not to exhibit obvious signs of their evil past, present, or future deeds. Because the case against Kurt Rolima has yet to be adjudicated, I reiterate, these are the crimes he is accused of and alleged to have committed. If Kurt Rolima is the person authorities believe him to be, he's an organized offender. He selected the women he chose to attack. 
Pamela was approached in her work environment, a place where she expected to be in relative safety from any type of violent attack. Using a blitz intimidation tactic, she was forced to disrobe before being sexually attacked. And nine months after committing that attack, a confidence approach was used on Julie, first asking her for a band-aid, and then if she knew the way to the clubhouse. Questions or engaging a person in even in a brief conversation the offender used on Julie are used as a ploy just to get closer to a person, to encroach into their personal space, close enough that would allow the offender to intimidate the victim into complying with their demands. And those demands were to force the victim into an area where his sex crimes can be committed in relative privacy. While allegedly committing these sexual attacks, Kurt Rolima maintained a job as a business executive in the construction industry. The women selected were alone at the time of their attacks. They would have either previously been observed as the offender went about his day, approaching them at a later time when he thought they'd be vulnerable, at a time and place where he could commit his crimes without being interrupted. Or he approached and attacked them when he first laid eyes on them, making the crime one of opportunity. If you recall, Julie was out jogging along a golf course when she was attacked. One thing to always remember is that sometimes the offender may want to move their victim from a place in the public view to a more secluded and isolated area where no one can witness the evil and vile things they're about to do, to commit a sex crime or where they can escalate to a homicide. These women were in environments where they were alone at the time of their attack and in areas and perhaps even communities where crimes such as these are never expected to occur. It was not reported that the offender did anything to conceal his face, which indicates that he would not make it a habit to return to those areas any time in the future for the survivors of his attacks to identify him. As for the aggravating factors that could have led to Pamela and Julie being attacked, I'm hard-pressed to find anything they did other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But for their mitigating factors, both women did whatever they needed to do to survive their attacks. They fully submitted to a sexual predator who could have escalated to something much more severe. And it is fortunate that sometime later, they should have the opportunity to have their day in court, to face their offender and possibly hold him accountable in both a criminal and civil court of law. As for the crime prevention efforts, there are two specific areas to consider. They involve mental and physical preparation that should take place prior to any encounter. Mentally, one should consider that violent crimes can occur in every neighborhood whether those areas are affluent or economically depressed. And when observing the offender, it should not matter how they present themselves, whether they appear affluent or unhoused. Their aggressive actions should provide all that you need to know of their intent to harm you or others. Always have a plan A and a plan B for not if, but when you are confronted by a violent offender. Having a viable plan will allow you to launch an effective strategy to overcome the offender's violent efforts. And physically, you would have prepared yourself for any physical confrontation, knowing what to do, where to strike, and how much force is justified to stop a violent attack is an important element in preparing yourself mentally and physically. If the offender uses a blitz attack, they might approach in a place out of your field of vision or approach you in a place where the attack is least expected and your guard may be down. But ultimately, they will make their presence known. Living in areas where violent crimes is not rampant has its advantages, but the largest disadvantages, complacency. People may come to feel that since that type of violence has never happened in that area, it may never happen there. Never allow yourself to become that complacent. That's exactly what the offender may use to their advantage. Using a concept that was taught to me in law enforcement, JDLR, which stands for 
just doesn't look right. Be aware of your environment and take action when things don't look or feel right. Evil people don't always have to look the part. They may even be well-dressed, drive nice vehicles, and have the financial means to live a nice life. But their actions will always indicate their intent. If an attack occurs in a work setting, as it happened to Pamela, you might be able to use items already or purposely located in your work site to help you defend yourself. Know how to locate and use improvised defensive weapons against your attacker. And don't be afraid to use them to fight for your survival. Fighting back takes more than just your mental fortitude. It takes knowing what to do and just when to do it. If you're engaging in activities where earbuds or headphones are used, remember to not have the volume level up too loud, where you cannot hear either approaching vehicles or individuals on foot. And you can always keep one ear free of your earbud to hear approaching danger. Many of today's vehicles are electric or hybrid that don't make a sound like gas-powered vehicles with engine noises. If you're out walking or jogging, stay in well-traveled areas, places where lots of people will traverse through. Use areas that are well-maintained and free from overgrown shrubs that can conceal an offender. And if those areas cannot be maintained, choose another area, but always be prepared mentally and physically if an offender suddenly appears intending to do you harm. You may need to rely on your senses of sight to alert you to danger. And when danger appears, know that you have options. With any offender that is attempting to sexually assault you, research and know the laws in your areas. And that knowledge will guide you through a full range of options. In most places, a person can use deadly force to stop a violent sexual attack. Another option is a partial submission tactic, where you initially allow the offender to believe you're going to comply with their demands. But in reality, you'll take the first opportunity to launch a violent, relentless, and sustained counterattack designed to stop the violent offender. Or, if you feel the odds are insurmountable, you may choose to fully submit to the offender's demands. The most important thing to do is to do whatever it takes to survive the encounter. But there's one major caveat to this strategy. If the offender is doing something that appears as though they may take your life, then you must fight back with every fiber of your being. Using conventional weapons such as a firearm or a knife or an improvised defensive weapon to fight back. No one may be coming to save you. And the fight for your life may be all up to you. Know that any person who attempts to hold a rapist accountable, that once an offender is arrested, he or she will be allowed by law to have a legal defense during questioning and trial. The person or persons will be provided an attorney who will decide upon the legal strategy that will be used to defend them during the trial. One of the strategies used to discourage the survivor from prosecuting their client is to discredit or outright embarrass the person making the accusations. Please know that regardless of what the survivor did before encountering the offender, or even during the violent offense, the survivor never asked to be violated. Please take solace in knowing that you did nothing wrong, and the offender should be held fully accountable for the crimes they committed. The women who were attacked are not victims, but survivors of their offender. It is never the fault of the women who were ever attacked. The offender is the person who knows that with 100% certainty that what they are doing is wrong, with no regard for the lives they impact in the present or in the future. No person ever wakes up in the morning and decides that is the day they'll become a victim to a predator. If you or anyone you know are the victim and survivor of a violent crime, know that whatever you or they did to encounter the offender was not their fault. And the most important thing for anyone to do in a dangerous situation is to do everything to survive, even if they have to submit to the offender's acts. Survivors are entitled and strongly encouraged to seek therapeutic assistance for as long as it takes to return to a state of normalcy, or what may need to be a new normal. 
Oftentimes, that help can be initiated by reaching out to a prosecutor's office and the victim's advocate. As you go about your daily activities, keep your eyes and ears open to things going on around you. Perhaps something you might see, hear, or witness could make the difference between a person's continued exploitation, their death, or their rescue. Don't just see something or say something, do something. In many situations, confronting a potential suspect by yourself can be dangerous. But you can be that observant person who witnesses something that just does not look right. And if anything appears not right to you, don't be afraid to call 911. Trust your instincts. Don't easily dismiss something that could lead to another person being hurt by your lack of actions. Offenders who commit violent crimes that Kurt Relima is accused of are knowledgeable, practiced, and polished as well as capable of spotting situations, engaging in non-threatening conversations before they eventually attack their victim. Know there are many more predators that are looking and waiting for their opportunity to pounce. It is important to educate ourselves and our children throughout their lives, their teenage years, and beyond about the dangers they could face from sex offenders. And more importantly, that they have options should this occur to them. Emphasis should be placed on how to not only avoid dangerous situations and people, but how to protect ourselves and our children from ever becoming a victim of a predator. To honor their initial instincts, that when things don't look or feel right, they have permission to do what they need to do to keep them safe. There are more self-defense techniques that have been added to the Serial Defense website and many more to follow. These videos are meant to illustrate the physical techniques that can be used to defeat a violent offender. Every person should know what to do before, during, and after a violent crime. People selected as victims must shift their paradigm from victim to survivor and be prepared to fight for their own survival. This paradigm shift starts at the beginning stages of the crime, where there's still opportunities to change the outcome. Serial defense is designed to stop a violent attack before it begins, or at least mitigate the serious impact of personal harm from the offender. Using the best practices of law enforcement tactics and viable self-defense techniques, you will have options for survival. The entire goal is to turn the tide against a violent offender and survive any attack. If you'd like to submit a particular serial offender to be profiled along with preventative measures and defensive tactics, you can always email me with the offender's information. Subscribers to Serial Defense now call themselves Serial Defenders. If you're not yet a member, now is the perfect time to sign up and unlock the self-defense videos on the website. All it takes is $5 per month to sign up. The website is SerialDefense.com. Don't wait until you've experienced a life-altering event to start your training. It's better to be prepared and not need the information than to need the information and not be prepared. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast was helpful to empower you with options for survival. I'm your host and personal safety trainer, Joey Walker. Audio editing and engineering by Jeff Bonanno. Graphics, content advisor, and more, Samantha Joy. Please follow, rate, review, and subscribe to Serial Defense. And please share the Serial Defense podcast and website with your friends and family members. In order to continuously improve this program, your feedback is valuable to provide the best tactics and techniques that might just save your life or the life of someone you love. Look for future podcasts on serial defense that will highlight other serial offenders from the distant and recent past, whether they're in your country, your state, or even in your neighborhood. Until then, I leave you with my three rules of self-defense. Protect yourself at all times. Do unto bad guys before they do unto you. And always and everywhere, be ready. Take care.